So we're continuing the series. We started uh, again two weeks ago with uh, uh, based on the full armor of God in Ephesians chapter six. Again, we see through a lot, the majority of the New Testament were letters that were written to, to either churches or individuals, and, and Paul, who wrote Ephesians, wrote uh, over half of the New Testament, and, and he wrote a lot of letters to different churches and to different people. And so, but this, this letter that he wrote to the church in Ephesus is a little bit unique in the, in the midst of all of his letters. Many of his letters, like I said, address uh, specific people or specific churches and specific situations or struggles that they were facing. But the, this letter to the Ephesians is a little bit different in that Paul addresses some bigger picture purposes that God has for the church. These are a lot more widely applicable things that Paul addresses in this specific letter. And he goes through many, many different topics that he addresses to the church. And then the final topic that he talks about in this letter is how we as the church of, of this, the body of believers are on the front lines of a great spiritual conflict. And what we have we have labeled this great cosmic conflict between good and evil is spiritual warfare. And yet we acknowledged and saw even the first week as we looked at the first intro verses into this section and this illustration of the armor that we gain as a follower of Jesus as we go into uh, this battle every day that uh, we understand that we get this, this help from God and, and this strength from him and, and the fact that we're, we're not fighting against other people, but we're fighting against the powers and principalities of the unseen world, against the evil forces of the unseen world. And just our, our theme verses for this entire series are Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and 11, when Paul says, A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. Again, we know that there's a battle, right? We know who the real enemy is. It is the devil and his demons and the powers of evil, right? We understand that we don't get to choose if we are a part of this battle, right? But just because we are created in God's image, right, that we are the target, of the enemy, and that we, but yet, we can stand firm. We can fight back, right? Not with our power, but with God's mighty power. And so we're going to look again this morning at Ephesians chapter 6, at the, the rest of this passage where Paul describes the different armor that we are given as he tells us to put on the full armor. We need every piece of this armor in order to stand firm. And so we're going to read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 through 18, where Paul describes all of the different pieces. So if you have your own Bible with you, I invite you to open with me to Ephesians chapter 6. If you don't have your own Bible, there are Bibles provided for you in the seats that you're welcome to use. Again, you'll notice the page numbers of where you can find this passage in those Bibles. But as we all open up to Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to pick up again at verse 13, where it says, Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. 
put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Again, we see this, this word picture that, that Paul uses to describe these different attributes that we take on as believers. When we receive Christ our Savior, we receive the Holy Spirit, and then that Holy Spirit dwells our hearts and, and, and brings in all of these different attributes that, that Paul describes in these parts of the armor. And, and yet he uses this, this illustration of of pieces of armor to put on, to be ready for the battle. And, and again, remembering that Ephesians is one of the, the, the few letters that, that Paul wrote from a prison cell. Right? And that likely there was, he was even chained to a Roman guard. And, and as he's writing this letter, thinking, how can I illustrate what these people need? And, and looks up and be like, oh yeah, they're in a battle. Like, look at all these, this armor. And again, Paul lists these different pieces of armor in, in the order in which a soldier would put them on. Right? And last week, we started with the belt of truth. And as we asked the question of what is truth and why is it our belt? Why does it tie everything together? Why is it the first thing that we put on as a believer? And we see, again, those different ways we saw last week of how we can, we can tighten that belt and, get us, and prepare us for battle. Right? Because the tighter that that belt is, the, the stronger the armor is, because the belt ties everything together. And then we get to the second piece this morning, and that is the breastplate of righteousness. So we start with the belt, the first thing that goes on, and the next thing is the breastplate of righteousness. Now, when we think about a breastplate, there's, there's many different styles. There's, there's different kinds. Again, the breastplate was one of these pieces of the armor that, that often showed rank or showed even um, you know, the wealth of the warrior. Okay, because some of them were really elaborate, some of them um, were very plain, e even, uh, even different pieces uncovered more than others, but, but the, the same genuine foundational function of the breastplate was always the same, no matter how elaborate it was, okay, and that was to protect your vital organs. And this is a, a picture of just of, of a, a very typical Roman guard breastplate. And, and again, as we see, they have the, the belt is kind of under it. And you see in the, the different things hanging off of the belt. And then the breastplate also would have been attached to the belt to hold it in the right place as the, as the warrior moved about. And, and again, it's, it is there, right? Because again, to, to protect your vital organs. Like I said, it was connected to the belt, and, and, the, and just because as we start with the truth, but also our righteousness, right, which is Paul describes as the breastplate of righteousness, is truth that is put into action. Right? When I know the truth, and I put that truth, and I live into that truth, then my actions are righteous. Right? And that's how they're connected. It's, it's truth put into action. And yet, this, how does righteousness, what does it really bring into my life? What does it provide again for me as a warrior in this cosmic battle? Again, it protects my vital organs. 
Most breastplates would cover from the neck, even like this one is kind of over the shoulders and protecting the upper part of your body all the way down through your torso. Like I said, the more elaborate that they would get, even some of them would, would extend even down onto your upper thighs. Right? And yet this, the breastplate, right, is the last line of defense in a battle to keep you alive. Right, it's the last line of defense because if you're a good warrior and if you're winning the battle, right, your breastplate should never be needed. Right, you have, again, your other weapons, you're in battle, your shield, like all these things, but the breastplate is the last line of defense. Right, it is there. If everything else fails, then it's what protects you from dying. Right? It protects your heart so that blood will continue to move through your body. It protects your lungs so that you can get a breath and, and gain you know, more energy. It, it, it protects your, your stomach and digestive tract and, and kidneys and, and all of these, these vital organs in your core. But again, it's never supposed to be needed if you're a good warrior. It is the last line of defense but it will keep you alive if all else fails. Right, when we think about this concept of, of the breastplate and, again, how it protects your vital organs, right, that it's the last line of defense to keep you alive. And when we think about, so how does righteousness do all of that? Well, we're going to dive into righteousness a lot deeper today. Look at, again, the biblical foundation of what it is and, and, and why, why it is so protective of us and how does it keep us alive. But, but before we do that, we're going to kind of start again with, um, with this idea of righteousness. Okay, because we have to start with God. I mean, that's, right, again, we are fighting with God's power. And, and even, even all of this, this illustration of, of this armor is we see this similar descriptions, even in the Old Testament, in a lot of the prophecies about God. So we're going to start with, with who God is and, and what does, what's his righteousness. So that's where we start, is that the righteousness is the expression of God's holiness. Okay, righteousness is the expression of God's holiness. So it starts with a character trait. And just like truth, we see is a character trait, not a list of, of facts, but a character trait. Righteousness also starts with a character trait that is then manifested through actions. But unlike truth, though truth is the character trait, righteousness is not the character trait. Okay, we start with a character trait, but then it, the action is righteousness. So what is the character trait? Well, the, the character trait for God is holiness. Because God is holy, meaning there is no evil in him, there is no sin in him, he is perfect, full of love. Right? There is no fault in God. He is holy. Because he is holy, because he is perfect, because he is loving because he is merciful because of all of these other attributes of God all of those build up to make him holy and then his actions as a holy being then his, when that that holiness is put into action all of his love all of his mercy all of all, all of this is put into action it is a righteous 
action. The character trait is holiness. Right? The, the action is played out. Again, holiness lived out is righteousness. Now, all throughout Scripture, we see holy and righteous are oftentimes used together in that phrase. He is holy and righteous, right? Because holy is the character trait, righteous is the action. Okay, but also when we see in Scripture this holiness and righteousness, it is often give, given as the opposite or the comparison of evil and wicked. Now, which again is the opposite of holiness and righteousness is evil and wickedness. And so for God, the character trait is holiness, and his holiness acted out is righteousness. For the enemy, the character trait is evil. And the actions of the enemy are seen as wickedness. And again, we see this contrast all through Scripture. Right? Through the Old Testament, through, through the gospel times that Jesus taught us, even in, into the New Testament, all the way to Revelation, where we see, again, this, this glimpse through the Revelation of John into this cosmic battle of good and evil. And, and holy is always the opposite of evil. Right? And righteous is always the opposite of wickedness. And we see, again, as we look at, start at these, these character traits that are, that are manifested through actions, holy and evil, righteousness and wickedness, right? this is what, again, creates the cosmic conflict that Paul is describing in this spiritual battle. Right? This is why we have a war to fight, is because God is holy. And the enemy is evil. And so they are naturally at odds with each other. Right? This is what creates this war. Now, again, the logical question as we look at this concept is, well, so why did God even create evil? Right? If, if there wasn't evil, then we wouldn't have a war. And this world would be a whole lot better place. In fact, it would be heaven. Right? If there wasn't evil, it would be heaven. So, God, why didn't you do that? That would have been a better idea. Right? And God's like, you're right, that was a great idea. And I did that. It was called Eden. Right? But yet, in Eden, notice again, we looked, we looked at that before, right? That Adam and Eve looked at it, and we looked at that deception. And, but there, was, there had to be a choice, right? So we had free will. And notice again, the fruit, the only fruit they couldn't eat was the knowledge of good and evil. Again, it's in contrast with each other. Hey, so why, again, God didn't create evil. Okay, evil is not its own standalone thing. In fact, what evil is, again, it's the opposite of holiness. And so, in fact, um, again, God didn't created, it's the natural result of God being holy. You see, evil does not exist on its own. What evil is, is the absence of holiness. So you cannot have one without the other. If God is holy, and you take away God and his holiness, what's left is evil. Hey, now, as you grasp this, this concept, I mean, this is a high-level concept, but when we think about this, again, the evil is what is left if you remove holiness. Okay, the, the, the same is true in our physical world. If you go into our scientific physical world, 
Okay, science um, teaches us this concept. Okay, because in science, okay, is um, cold does not exist in science. Okay, what exists in science is, is heat and energy. And when you have, again, energy, it is manifested as heat. And when you remove the energy, what is left is cold. So again, cold is the opposite of heat. Right? And you can't have heat and energy without having cold. The same that you cannot have holiness without having evil. They coexist. Again, cold is not its own you know, it's not, does not exist on its own. What cold is scientifically is the absence of energy or heat. And what evil is, is the absence of holiness. And as we read about this, this example, right, that God, the character trait is holiness, the actions lived out of a holy God is righteous. Character trait of the enemy is evil, and the actions lived out of an evil is wickedness. Which then leads us to this, this, the most foundational truth of all of Scripture. Okay? And everything else is built upon the fact that God defines what is righteous. God defines what is righteous. Because God is holy. And because God is holy, he decides what's righteous. Because what he does is righteous because he's holy. God gets to decide. Again, I don't know if you've ever really thought about that, but again, that, that God is the ultimate foundation. He is the starting point. He is the creator. And because he is the creator, and because he's holy, and because he gets to define what's righteous, he gets to make the rules. Right? We don't get to make the rules. Again, think about this in, in, in our lives, in our normal everyday lives, and you think about who makes the rules in your house. Right, well, Maureen and I make the rules in our house because we're the parent. And I can neither confirm nor deny if we have to remind our kids of that on a daily basis. You're not the parent. I am. I make the rules, not you. Again, why do we have to remind them of that? Well, because they always push the rules, don't they? Right? They want to define what's acceptable in our house and what's not. Again, another thing that we have told our boys through their entire lives, and we're going to tell Claire the same thing, okay, is that every family does things a little bit different. Right? That might be good for their family, but that's not the way the Seidel's do it. Right? So, well, but my friends get to do it is not a viable reason to push back on our rules. Right? Because their parents get to decide what's good in their house, and we get to decide what's good in our house. Right? Again, in our house, they cannot eat food anywhere other than at the dining room table. Right? Because we want to keep our furniture and our carpet clean. Right? Now, again, other, I know other houses, they get, well, my friend gets, I don't care if your friend gets to eat on the couch. You are not eating on the couch in my house. Because I'm the parent, and I get to make the rules. Again, God defines what's righteous. He gets to make the rules. We see all the way in the Old Testament, in Isaiah, this, this, this prop, this, these prophetic words about who God is. In, in Isaiah 45, verses 21 and 22, it says, For there is no other God but me, a righteous God and Savior. 
There is none but me. Let all the world look to me for salvation, for I am God. There is no other. You think God is the one that gets to make the rules? I mean, literally, he said, he's like, there is no other God. Right? I am righteous. I will be your savior. Don't go anywhere else because I get to make the rules. Again, this isn't an arrogant statement by God. This is just God telling us how it is. Right? Because not only does he get to make the rules, but he is also holy, right? Which means he is incredibly loving, and he is merciful, and he is gracious, right? And he, he, he loves us more than we can imagine. Again, this is a loving statement. There is no other God. And it is therefore the starting point, the foundation of everything is God. Because he is holy. And his actions are are righteous, and we can never question that. But that's exactly what the enemy wants to do, right? Is to say, and that's exactly what the enemy has done all through Scripture, right? That, that's not really what God said. God's not really that good. God doesn't love you that much. And those are all lies that make us question whether God is righteous in his actions. But that is the most foundational truth that never changes. God is righteous. And then as we think about, okay, if God is righteous, then, well, then what about me? What about human righteousness? Well, human righteousness can't be achieved without God. But human righteousness can't be achieved without God. Again, a, a few verses later in Isaiah 45, right, we see that the people will declare, the Lord is the source of all my righteousness and strength. And all who were angry with him will come to him and be ashamed. Again, if, if you break the rules, right, then you, you come, right, ashamed. Sorry, Lord. You're God. You're holy. You are righteous. You get to define what's righteous, and guess what? I messed up. I broke the rules. But again, notice what is the heart of God, right? The heart is, is, is that God wants to make us righteous. He wants to be our source of strength. Again, that's where we start to see the loving side of God's holiness. Is he holy and righteous? Absolutely. Does he want us to be the same? Yes. Right, because again, he loves us. He wants the best for us. Why do we give rules to to our kids in our house because we love them and we want the best for them. But again, one of the odd rules in our house, right, is that all of their phones are left on the charger in the kitchen, on the kitchen counter every night. They never take their phones with them into their bedrooms. Why do we have that rule? Well, because for, I did youth ministry for a really long time and all of those youth ministry kids were exhausted all of the time. Why were they so tired? Because they were on their phones all night in their rooms. Guess what? My kids don't take their phones in their rooms, and they sleep really well. Right? Why do I have that? And there's many reasons why we have that rule, right? But because I love them, and I want the best for them, and I want them to, to do well in school, and do well with their friends, and well in sports, and all those things. And so, so we make a, a, a guideline for them to follow, because I want the best for them. 
Why does God give us guidelines to follow in our life? Why does he want us to be righteous? Because he wants the best for us. Because he loves us so much. But human righteousness can't be achieved without God. Again, this is one of the great lies of the enemy, is that that we can be righteous on our own, by our own power or by our own will. Again, literally one of the songs that we sang today in the Lord, I Need You song, the last song we sang before, before we went into the message time, one of the lines of that song's chorus is, my one defense, my righteousness, oh God, how I need you. Again, I've always kind of looked at that line and be like, how is my defense my righteousness? Like, I'm not righteous at all. Right? I, that's not a defense. Well, but it is a defense when you add in the last phrase, right? The, the title of the entire song, right? My one defense is my righteousness. God, I need you. Because the only way I'm righteous is if you are in my life. Because human righteousness can't be achieved without God. We need God every moment. Again, my defense isn't righteousness at all. It's it's God's righteousness that is my defense. Because any righteousness that I can accomplish on my own isn't going to be good enough. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus uh, taught, especially towards, again, towards all believers, but especially with the Pharisees in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. Jesus says, but I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, what was Jesus' point? You can never be good enough yourself. Your righteousness will never be good enough to get you into heaven. Again, the Pharisees were very righteous according to the human standard, which is exactly why Jesus uses them as an example in this teaching. If the human standard meant anything, the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law were righteous. Right? But Jesus says, but even their righteousness will not get them there. Right? Because in order for you to get it, it's got to be better than them. Right? And you cannot achieve that. Again, the, were the Pharisees and religious leaders of Jesus' time righteous? According to the human standard, absolutely they were. But the human standard still falls short. And Jesus was telling them, you are going down the wrong path. But yet they had an attitude, right? Their, their attitude was in their own righteousness. It was, it was in their, their own ego to say like, no, I can make it my way. And, and then they had this, this persona of them that they were better than everybody else, right? This holier than thou attitude, right? But at the very, they were flawed in the very foundation in that, that they, were, they were putting their faith in their own human righteousness that is never going to be good enough. Again, they were going 100 miles an hour in the wrong direction. They were doing it passionately, right, and they were doing it well, but they were doing it on the wrong standard. Again, in Mark chapter 2, verse 17, it says, Then when Jesus heard this, he told them, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. And again, once 
I know that I'm a sinner, once I know I need God because only his righteousness is, will help me, right, then I can start to move forward in my life. Then I can start to be transformed by Christ, right, and into a, a true lifestyle of holiness. Again, the more like Christ I get, the more holy I am, and the more righteous my actions will become. This is an ongoing process of transformation as I journey forward in my faith, as I am more like Christ tomorrow than I am today, right, that I am being transformed into his likeness and by his standard of righteousness. So how do I start that process? I start that process of becoming righteous right, by accepting Christ as my Savior. Because that is the only way I can ever be declared righteous. I am declared righteous by accepting Jesus as my Savior. My righteousness will never be good enough. Right? But I can rely on God's righteousness through Christ right? so that I can be adopted into his family. And I can be made righteous Right, by accepting Jesus as my Savior. In Philippians 3.9, it says, I no longer count my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with him depends on faith. Can I do it on my own? Nope. But the best news is I don't have to. I don't have to do it on my own. I just have to receive Christ as my Savior. Right? And then I can be declared righteous. I don't rely on myself at all. I am, I am now justified through Christ, not justified on my own actions. Because can I ever be good enough? Nope. I can't. But I am justified. Again, this is a really important theological term, justified. Right? And thinking about that, once I am justified through Christ, it is just as if I never sinned. That's a great way to remember the definition of being justified just as if I'd never sinned, if I'm justified through Christ. And that's the way then that God sees me. He sees me as holy when I'm washed by the blood of the Lamb and receive Christ as my Savior and receive his forgiveness and grace. Right? Then I can become holy myself right? through growing in my faith, through the truth of the gospel, as I live out that gospel every day. Right, and claiming God's righteousness, not my own. So how does righteousness then protect me and keep me alive? How, how is it the breastplate? Well, as we look at that, there's, there's several different ways that we can, we can answer that question. And in fact, that even God's word answers that question. How does righteousness protect me and keep me alive? Again, the breastplate is there, not just for protection, but it also is there to bring confidence. Okay, the breastplate is there for protection and to bring confidence to the warrior. And, well, and again, how, how, does it, how does it do that? Okay, first off is protection. That one seems pretty obvious, right? It's the last line of defense to keep you alive as it protects your vital organs, right? It brings protection in my life. But what about confidence? How does it bring confidence to the warrior? Because with the breastplate in proper place, 
right, with the protection it brings in place, I can now charge forward into battle knowing I'm protected. Right, and it gives me a freedom to fight, not to hold back, because I know I'm protected. Again, many, many years as I, I coached football with my, for my boys, many years. And, and again, in football, right, we know, right, you put on pads and a helmet, right? And again, those pads provide protection for those football players. Right? But I remember, the, especially the first year of tackle, right, is that they have to learn to trust their equipment. Right? And getting those kids to tackle Right, is a huge hurdle to get them over, especially their first year or two of tackle football. Right, because they need to test those pads and, and know that they protect them so that they can tackle with confidence. Again, as a coach, you see when the, when the, when the, the switch flips. Right, all of a sudden, this kid who, who instead of Tackling would back off every time they get in front of the ball carrier. All of a sudden, they, they tackle through. Because they, get, they know that their pads are protecting them, and then they hit with confidence. And the breastplate, that's exactly what the breastplate does for the warrior. Right? When you know your last line of defense is in place, then it gives me confidence to fight with everything I have. And I don't have to hold back. And we can move forward with, the, with our righteousness in place because it will protect us and it will bring us confidence in the battle. Again, righteousness is, are like guardrails on a road. Okay, the thing about guardrails on a road, they are there for protection and they give you confidence in your driving. Okay, because again, imagine again a road without guardrails. Right, looking at this, going down this snow-covered road with no guardrails. Again, how confident are you driving down that road? I mean, I've driven in snow quite a bit, but I would not be very confident driving down that road. Right, and and if we, we see, again, guardrails provide protection and confidence, don't they? Right, imagine going down this road right, with no guardrails and a very small margin of error. Right? Or, or going on this hike. Who wants to go on that one? Sign me up. Right? Now, again, we see those, and, and, and it, it, it elicits this emotional response from us. It's like, no, there's no protection, right? I, I would be scared. Right? And if without righteousness in our lives, we have that same reaction spiritually. But yet, if there are guardrails, suddenly it's not quite as scary. Right? This, this hike would not be as scary. See, maybe a little scary still. Right? But I know there's at least a little bit of protection. It would give me a little more confidence in walking. Right? As, as we look again, as going down the mountain road, right? Similar mountain road, but with a guardrail in place. I know I'm protected. I can drive with a different confidence. And the truth is, as we think about this concept, if, if I am living a truly righteous life, 
right? If I, if I am being more holy tomorrow, more like Christ, right? And the more holy I become, the more it's, it plays out in the actions of my life, and the more righteousness my actions become, the more I feel like the road of life is like this. Right, and that breastplate of righteousness brings me not only protection, but it brings me confidence that I can charge into battle with everything I have and say, I can make it down this road. And I won't even think twice about it. Right, God's righteousness right, is, is highly connected to our conduct. Right, because again, God's holiness, his character trait, acted out as his, his, his through righteousness, again, the more holy I become, the more my actions become righteous, right? And the more that I know that I am protected and that God is continuing to, to work in my life and in my faith, right? And the more confidence it gives me to live into everything God is asking me to do. So how does, again, righteousness protect me and bring me protection and confidence? First off is that righteousness shows the transforming condition of your character. If my actions are being more righteous as I continue to grow, then that is, is a tangible, physical example of my spiritual growth. Okay, Ephesians 4, 21 through 24, a little earlier in the letter. Okay, so again, just flip back a page or so to Ephesians 4. I'm going to read verse 21 through 24. So since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Again, the more that I grow my faith, the more that I, I get rid of my old sinful actions— and wickedness, and the more that I put on my new nature, right, one that is holy and that is righteous, it will transform my actions towards righteousness, right? And the more righteous my actions become, right, the more it shows me and everyone else that I am growing in my faith, that I am being transformed. So righteousness shows the transforming condition of my heart. This is, again, is, is encouraging to me. If I'm more like Christ tomorrow than I am today, then I am growing in my journey. Again, righteousness is not a list of do's and don'ts to just check off and move on. Right? It is an ongoing transformation growth of my character. I become more holy, so then my actions become more righteous. Again, righteousness keeps your faith alive and growing. Righteousness will keep my faith alive and growing. In James chapter 2, verses 22 and 26, he says, you see, Abraham's faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. The, my actions and my holiness are working together to keep my faith alive and to keep it growing. And then lastly, again, how does, how does righteousness protect me and bring me confidence? Is that righteousness will bring sustainability to your life and to your ministry. Righteousness brings sustainability to your life and ministry. 
Again, because think about, again, that, that light, those guardrails, right? It brings freedom to me to be who I am, right? To, to know that I'm protected by God's laws. He makes the rules, right? He built the guardrails, and if I stay away from those guardrails, then I can be who I am, and I can live life, and I don't have to worry about falling off the edge or all of the negative consequences that come from actions outside of God's rules, right? And it brings sustainability, meaning that right, I will continue to grow. I won't be damaged by those things, and, and, and again, all of that wickedness in my life, as I get that out, I can be who I am meant to be. Again, in Deuteronomy 6, 24 and 25, it says, and the Lord our God commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear him so he can continue to bless us and preserve our lives as he has done to this day. For, he, for we will be counted as righteous when we obey all the commands the Lord God has given us. All right, if I live within the guardrails that God has set up because he's God, he gets to decide the rules. Right, if I live within the guardrails that God puts in my life, Okay, then two things will happen, is what he says here. One, circle the phrase, continue to bless. He will continue to bless. And, and secondly, circle the phrase, preserve our lives. Right, and if I obey God's commands and live righteously the way he teaches me to do it, then he will continue to bless and he will continue to preserve our lives. If I do what God tells me to do, if I live life between the guardrails that God has set up. All right, the last passage I want to show you today is, is uh, one that Paul wrote, this advice, this friendly advice to Timothy. And when we think about, again, righteousness and holiness and this process that God is with, is, is leading us on in our lives as we move forward in our faith journey, right? Look at 1 Timothy 6, 11 through 12, as Paul, from a mentor, right, to, to, to Timothy, who was, he was teaching to be a pastor like him. He says, but you, Timothy are a man of God. So run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life which God has called you and which you have declared so well before many witnesses. You're right, Paul is telling him, Right? He's, he's empowering Timothy to say, fulfill everything God has called you to do. Right? You're already doing a good job, but again, how does he continue to fulfill his ministry? He says, pursue righteousness and a godly life and everything that goes with that, and that will set you up for success. Right? You, will, you will be a, a, a long-term servant for God. Right? You will continue to, to be able to, to fulfill everything God calls you to do. And, and again, ministry, we all have a ministry, Oliver of Jesus. We all have work to do for God's glory. And again, righteousness will protect us. It is the last line of defense in our growing faith. It will keep your faith alive, and it will keep you growing and moving forward. Right, so that you can, again, not just be more like Christ tomorrow than you are today, not just be more holy, not just be more righteous for righteousness sake, but it's so that I'm more like God so that I can fulfill everything that God needs me to fulfill. And know that, again, not 
not by any of those lies from the enemy, that I can be righteous on my own, because I can't. Which brings me to our final thought this morning, and that is this. Right, because God is holy, his actions are righteous. And the closer I get to God, the stronger my defenses become at keeping my faith alive. Are you living a life of holiness? I hope that you are. I hope that you're more holy tomorrow than you are today. I hope that you're, you're growing in your faith. And, but again, we cannot rely on our own righteousness. We need to rely first on the righteousness of God. Again, you can never be good enough right, to earn your own way to heaven. Okay, this process of holiness starts with you receiving Christ as your Savior. And if you've never received Christ as your Savior, or you need to rededicate your life to Christ, then I hope you will do that today. But if you are living for Christ, I hope again that, that you will be empowered to live life with a new confidence in knowing that I am protected and that my life and my faith are sustainable right? because of everything that God has done for me. Lord God, we praise you today because your love, God, reaches further than we can imagine. God, your righteousness, again, covers us because we know we cannot be righteous on our own. But God, we worship you today because you are righteous and you are holy and you are God and you get to make the rules. And God, as we go this week, I pray that we will continue to grow in our faith. God, that we would be transformed by your spirit every day. God, that we'll be more like you tomorrow than we are today so we can live a holier life and be more righteous. God, not for our or not for our own glory, but for yours. And God, that we can show this world who you are through our lives. God, give us the confidence to go into battle this week knowing we're protected. We love you. We praise you. Thank you that you're with us in this battle. And God, let's take new ground as we go today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.